Well, good morning. It is such a pleasure to be with you today. This summer, me and my new husband, Ben, went on our honeymoon to Scotland. And Ben had spent most of his summer watching Bear Grylls, Man vs. Wild. So when we arrived on our first day of our holiday, um, we found ourselves climbing Ben Nevis, but not the conventional route. No, we were going to summit three other mountains that day before eventually reaching Ben Nevis. But a couple of hours into our hike, I found myself on the side of a mountain feeling overwhelmed by a sense that I wasn't going to be able to do it. The mountain had been covered by fog and I was exhausted. My legs were, my thighs were burning. And just looking up at this mountain and not seeing the top, the first summit of our four summits seemed so far away. I let out a little tear because I didn't want to let myself down and I didn't want to let my husband down. He'd been so excited about this walk. But looking up and not knowing how long we'd be on this mountain for, I felt overcome with worry overload. And today I want to speak to you about overcoming worry overload. We did actually have an amazing hike that day. The sun came out. It was lovely. We reached the four summits. It was brilliant. In our reading for today, we pick up a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, where he's explaining how the kingdom of heaven transforms everything. So in Matthew 6, starting at verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And then he goes on to say, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What do you worry about Maybe you found yourself worrying about how to act in person as well as just on Zoom. Maybe you're worrying about making your, worry, your money stretch to the end of the month. Do you worry about whether you meet other people's expectations of you as a friend, a colleague, or a parent? Maybe you worry about whether you'll find someone to spend your days with. Maybe you worry about the future of our planet. In the words of John Mayer, we are alive in the age of worry. And whatever your worries are, I'm sure the suggestion to just not worry seems absolutely outrageous. Is that even possible? And isn't it foolish not to worry when there is so much to worry about? 
But I love this passage we've just read because Jesus explains to us why we worry, why we can trust that God is in control and how to seek his kingdom and his vision for the world. So firstly, Jesus reveals why we actually worry. When Jesus speaks to his disciples, they are in a different cultural moment to us right now, but they had some major worries of their own. When Jesus says to them, do not worry about what you will eat, it's because their economy was one where you daily worked to buy your daily bread. And so for the majority of people, poverty was a very real daily risk. There was no option for stockpiling pasta and loo roll. Jesus explains why the disciples were on worry overload and why we might feel like we're on worry overload too. In verse 25, when he says, do not worry, the Greek word that's used is merimna. And merimna at its root means to have many thoughts, to have divided thoughts, to have many worries about many things. And in our culture, we are inundated. We are bombarded by different thoughts, notifications every two seconds from every angle. In verse 34, then Jesus explains, do not worry about tomorrow. And as humans, we have an amazing psychological makeup. So if you were on your way here this morning or if you went out for a walk um, this morning and you crossed the road and suddenly you saw a bus coming towards you, your fight or flight system would kick in, your body's stress reaction would happen and you'd scurry over the road as quickly as possible. But psychologists are saying that our quickly changing world means that our brains are constantly perceiving potential threats, potential risks and threats for the future. There are so many what ifs about our future. And then in verse 27, Jesus tells us that what we're trying to do is impossible. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? In other words, there are some things in life that as humans, we cannot control. We are all longing, I think, to seek a life without problems, not just for ourselves, but for the wider world, to seek a safe and protected existence, one away from hardship and worry. And Jesus explains why we actually worry. It's our longing to control the uncontrollable. But when bad things happen, our illusion is shattered. When the doctor walks in with bad news, we realise that we were never in control in the first place. And when a global pandemic kicks off, we realise that we were never in control in the first place. I first had a panic attack when I was 16 years old. I had been doing my GCSEs and that morning I finished my GCSE exams and I came home and I grew up in a village um, and we had chickens in our garden and I was sat at home in the garden um, and that day a chicken just wandered over to me and looked at my barefoot and thought that looks like food. And this chicken, just out of nowhere, pecked my toe. And that sounds like an absolutely ridiculous thing to cause a panic attack. But in that moment, my heart rate went through the roof and I couldn't breathe. So what was going on in my brain that day? Well, I just spent the past few months 
day in, day out, revising for my exams. I was one of those kind of annoying people who um, pretended to everyone else that I hadn't revised, but secretly I was like working really hard. Um, I'd been trying my very best to control the outcome of my exams and my future. And that day, once the exams were done, I was still left with this what if of my future. But suddenly, I had no way to control it anymore. I couldn't control the results anymore. And so for my exhausted brain, that little chicken peck was enough. It was the final straw for me. So what do we learn from all of this? Well, we, well let's just acknowledge today that the worries that have been going around our head, you will know what those worries are that are nagging at you. They're actually about things that are uncontrollable. So Jesus explains why we worry. And then he explains why we can trust that God is actually in control. So if we're not in control and it's impossible to seek a life without problems, then how can we trust that God is in control? Well, in verse 32, Jesus gives us two reasons to believe that we can trust him. He says, firstly, you have a heavenly father. And secondly, your heavenly father knows what you need and will provide it. We can trust that God is in control because he's our heavenly father who loves us and wants the best for us. He isn't some distant, abstract being. Did you know that the God of the universe is really very fond of you? So when Jesus says, do not worry, I'm reassured that he's not telling us off, that he's gently saying, hey, Annie, these worries are debilitating you. I can see that you're longing to make everything right, but actually your stress is impacting your relationships and your work. And Annie, I would love to have a conversation with you. I would love to remind you of my love for you and help you with these areas of your life. But instead, you are so focused on solving these problems yourself. Ours is a God who cares about our mental health. And if you are here today and you're struggling with an anxiety disorder, or if you're at home and you're struggling with anxiety, I couldn't encourage you more to reach out to friends and seek professional help. So we can trust God because he's our heavenly father who loves us. And then Jesus says, we can trust God because he's a provider. He's in control. I love how Jesus gives us something really practical to do to understand this. He tells us, look at the birds of the air. And I think it's because when we do, we realize that God is the original aerospace engineer in inventing those wings for flight. And he's the original fashion designer in creating those beautiful designs and feathers on the birds. He's the original matchmaker in creating some quite hilarious mating rituals for each species. I've watched a lot of David Attenborough's. <laughs> and he's the original supply chain specialist in coming up with a food chain that works for every creature. And some of us might be thinking, well, doesn't the bad stuff in the world just prove that God isn't in control of it all? Well, no, I don't think so. Because of God's love, he gave us freedom to live as we please. And that does mean that there are troubles 
in this world. And yet God can use all things for the good of those who love him. And I've experienced this in my own life. About eight years ago, I started uni and on my course, I met my friend, Rach. And one day, leaving our class, Rach asked me if I was a Christian. And I said, no, why are you? And she said, yes. And I don't remember much else about that conversation, but a few months later, I asked her if I could come to church with her. But I was carrying some huge worries of my own. My mum had passed away just before I got to uni. And the last thing that I wanted to be known as was a sad fresher. So I pretended to everyone that I was fine. I didn't tell anyone what was going on. I had no idea how I was going to process my grief or at what moments I might become overwhelmed with emotion. And my foundations had been shaken. My mum, who gave me life, was gone. And there was a real sense that anything could happen next. I had started to believe in God, but I didn't believe that God was actually good or trustworthy because I didn't understand why he had let pain or suffering happen in that way to my family. So I arrived at church with Rach and I was surprised to find myself telling her about what had happened and about my mum. And to my surprise even more, Rach told me that she had experienced the same thing when her dad passed away a few years before. And sitting on the pew that day, I knew that God, was, God knew me. He saw me. He knew what had happened. He knew about my grief and worries. And he knew just what I needed. He knew I needed a friend. Can I encourage you, whatever your worries are, will you let yourself surrender to your Father who loves you and is in control? Where your worries have worn you down and convinced you that God is not trustworthy, let yourself be radically changed by this truth that you are God's beloved child and he's holding you in the palm of his hand. And then finally, Jesus shows us how to seek first the kingdom of God. In verse 33, he says, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And this means aligning yourself to God's far greater vision for your life and the world. C.S. Lewis explains this beautifully. He says, imagine yourself as a house and God comes in to rebuild the house. And at first, you can understand what he's doing. He's fixing the drains that need fixing. He's sorting out that leaky roof. Perhaps he's dealing with some of those worries that you have. But suddenly, he starts knocking about the house in a way that doesn't seem to make much sense and actually is incredibly painful. What is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house than you expected. He's throwing out a new wing here, some towers over there. He's adding a few courtyards in. You wanted to live in a decent enough cottage, but God is building you a 
palace where he intends to come and live. Surrendering to God's vision might be scary. It might mean bringing the gentleness of the spirit into your very ungentle workplace. Or it might be learning to be extra patient with tricky housemates or with your family. Or it might mean seeking out God's heart for the climate or for humanity and boldly advocating for the world that God is longing to see. Jesus knew more than anyone that surrendering to our Father can be hard. On the night before he was crucified, Jesus cried out to his Father in heaven, my Father, if there is any way, get me out of this. But please, not what I want, you do what you want. And for the joy set before him, he faithfully endured the cross. And thank God that Jesus submitted to the will of his father in heaven, because his father used the most unjust moment in history to bring about our salvation, our freedom, our eternal life. God knows what he's doing. The Lord can and will address your worries. But what he really wants to do is to bring us into a whole other way of living and thinking. There is no shame in carrying worry and anxiety into the room today. There is no shame in having worry and anxiety at home today. It really is a daily battle. So fix your eyes on him and his kingdom and let your own kingdom fall away. In Jesus' name, amen.